Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show, episode 211. And thanks for tuning in, folks. This is a practical show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I just keep things rooted in common sense. Today I'm traveling in my mobile studio. My little paid-for 2002 Honda Accord, 127,000 miles on this thing right now. And uh, folks, you know... I just hate car payments, so I, I keep driving this car. It keeps getting me around, and I got a feeling it's going to get me around for quite some time. Uh, we have a little bit nicer car. We got a 2007 Accord that my wife drives, but that's the way it is, you know. I've got to treat her right. And so, folks, I want to let you know thank you for all the support out there. Most of you know that the uh, stink has hit the fan in my family in a big way. Uh, unfortunately, sadly, I can report to you that my wife has been diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's a fatal disease, and we don't know what the prognosis is. Some people live and do quite well for quite some time, and some don't. So we don't know. So it's a day-by-day journey. That's the only way I can look at it. Um, you know, I, I've, I've gone through all the emotions, the shock and the grief, the despair, the, dis- the, the depression, the anger, everything. You know, and I'm starting to come out of all those emotions over the past two weeks, because we just found out a couple of weeks ago. And now that I'm coming out of the emotions, now I'm getting ready for this journey, and I'm going to fight the good fight. And I'm going to help her fight it, and I'm going to fight it for her, because we are married, and we are married, and we are one, and we are going to fight this thing together, and we're going to see it through, and that's just the way it is. And I do believe in God's divine healing power. And so, if it's in God's will, He will also take care of it because He is the great physician. And that's just my personal belief. So we're going to claim that and we're going to receive that too and just kind of see what life deals us. So, I get to put all my preparations to the test, don't I? And that's kind of the way that I look at this. I'm going to remain positive and keep doing today's survival show and keep prepping every way that I can. So what is this subject going to be about this week? Well, I had a chance to interview Glenn Tate again. Now, Glenn's been on this program before. He is the author of the book series, 299 Days. I just talked to somebody Yesterday, and I asked him if he'd ever heard of Glenn Tate. Um, he's a firearms guy, and I said, "You ever heard of Glenn Tate?" He says, "No, I never heard of Glenn Tate." And I said, "Have you ever heard of the book series 299 Days?" He goes, "Oh yeah, I've heard of 299 Days. I've downloaded a couple of them already." I said, "Aha! Sounds like the um, the title of the series, obviously, which is probably typical. The title of the book series very popular, and uh, has probably better name recognition. But anyway." Glenn is going to come on. We're going to talk about the Boston bombing. Now, this is a survival and preparedness topic. After all, that's a disaster that happened. That's a regional disaster that happened in Boston for the people there. And it could happen in your area. It can happen anywhere. This is why we prepare. We need to analyze not only what happened to cause the Boston bombing, but we need to analyze what happened after the Boston bombing. And so Glenn's going to talk about that with me. What happened after the Boston bombing? In other words, how did the police conduct themselves? How did the government conduct themselves? Is this what you can expect if a disaster happens in your area? How is it going to affect you, if at all? Is it a good thing, a bad thing, or is it a combination of both? 
you know, do we live in a police state or do we not? Will the government declare a police state or martial law after a disaster? We don't know. These are the types of things that we need to be thinking about, don't we? So, I'm not going to waste too much more time here. Glenn decided to interview. It was it was a phone interview. I was on Skype and he was on the phone. So, the sound quality is not as good as what you're used to, but it's it's good enough. And you should be able to understand everything that we're saying and get quite a bit from this interview. So, without further ado, Glenn Tate, the author of the book series, 299 Days. Well, joining me for this episode, Glenn Tate's back. How's it going, Glenn? Great, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. I really appreciate it. Well, no problem. These podcasts you and I do are are pretty popular. How's book sales going? Absolutely fantastic. Um, Continues to wildly exceed my expectations. And now, in all fullness of disclosure, uh, my expectations were very low. Uh, (laughs) But the uh, book sales have been absolutely um, phenomenal. And, and I don't even have the figures yet for, for Book 5, uh, which came out in uh, late March. Um, so they should be even better. And um, people are saying very nice things to me. There's, there's some books out there that, that I read and have always thought highly of. Uh, One Second After, um, Lights Out, and Patriots. And people are saying, that, not, not thousands of people, don't get me wrong, but some people are saying things like, wow, this is one of those kinds of books it's sort of in that category of things that opens up people's eyes and so that to me is just more important than than you know numbers but the numbers are there too so it's been spectacular um i'm very very grateful and humble that's all i can say well congratulations i would agree with the people who say that your books are right up there um i have to be honest i have finished one through three I'm going to start on four this week. My wife has already finished five. So, uh, you know, here in this household, you're making a big impact. Well, that's fantastic. That's the thing that really matters is the, the impact it's having. And I, I get emails and, and personal messages on Facebook. I don't know what percentage of people contact me who share this view, um, but um, I am getting things, especially um, from husbands who are saying that wives were not on board, and now after reading this book, book series, um, are on board, and that means everything to me, because that's really, really important. And there's some wives that contact me and say their husbands weren't on board, so it's not just, you know, husbands are great and, and wives aren't, sometimes it's the reverse, and that is really gratifying. So there's some, there's some prepping going on in America because of this book series, and that means everything. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, folks, get it, go to my website, I've given you many different ways to purchase it, so you'll help both Glenn and myself getting it off of my Amazon store, and so Glenn, I I brought you on because you wanted to talk about the... uh, the Boston bomber that they have captured, and I think you wanted to talk a little bit about the way that whole thing has been handled, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, it was a it was an amazing surprise, you know, when it happened and, and all that. And I say that, and then have to be honest and say, I can't believe these things haven't happened earlier, and there haven't been more of them. I mean, I'm glad there haven't been any others, but um, um, so when it did happen, um, we all sort of thought about it and. This all started off with um, uh, 
some friends of mine who are very hardcore libertarians. I consider myself a libertarian. I'm a, and I won't get into politics, but it, this is necessary context, I guess. Kind of a moderate libertarian, mainstream libertarian. Um, constitutionalist, I guess, would be another term for it. Right. And so, one of my friends who are more hardcore than I am um, started putting up things on Facebook when the search happened, and there were there were lots and lots of well-armed men in black uniforms with body armor and even some, apparently, it almost looks like National Guard sort of folks or Humvees or something, going house to house. And my, my friends, uh, one of my friend's statements was when the guy, um, suspect number two, um, was in that boat, um, a friend of mine said on Facebook, I can't believe they didn't read that guy's rights before they went and they got it. And that was just ridiculous and unreasonable in my mind. So I said something innocuous, or so I thought. And that was, well, I think my liberty-minded friends need to acknowledge two things. Um, the first is that there are bad people uh, from whom we need to protect ourselves. There are bad people out there. Right. The second thing that people need to acknowledge, in my view, is that the police can use some force to, to stop bad people uh, from doing these things. And to me, that's pretty harmless. I didn't get into the details about the kind of search and the way it unfolded. And I, I'm troubled, you know, by the, the pictures I've seen and some of the videos I've seen. I also know that for every photograph or video snippet where the police are ordering people out of their houses and not asking their, their consent to enter the house, there were probably who knows how many examples of the police being very professional and very polite and doing things the way we would all want them to be done. So I didn't even weigh into the, you know, <laughs> the, the tactical part of all this. I was merely making the point there are bad people the police can use, of course. Well, to my surprise and disappointment, um, a lot of my very hardcore li- libertarian friends started getting mad at me and saying things like, well, it was a setup, uh, it's a conspiracy, none of this happened, this is just an excuse to grab more power and lots of other things. And I said, okay, guys, calm down. Let's get back to the two points I made. There are bad people, and the police can use some force. And try as I might, I could not get some of my hardcore friends to admit those two points. And that troubles me, because if we can't agree out there that there are bad people and the police can use some force... We've got a real problem, um, you know. I would agree so with you on that. What's that? I said I agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was your reaction to all of this? Well, interesting, Glenn, because I got some of the same responses on Facebook that you did from some of my very, very much libertarian type friends. Uh, I was called insane. I was called out of touch. I was called a lot of names on Facebook. And you folks can go back and look at either one of my Facebook pages. You can look at my Bob Main page or you can look at my Handgun World Show page. Either one. And you can see the responses. And all I did was simply suggest that we didn't have to read the rights to this guy so quickly. Maybe we could have temporarily slapped the enemy combatant status on him or something to be able to interrogate him a little bit longer to see if maybe there were there was some other information that we could find out. But there are bad people out there. The police do have to, at times, use force. And 
I'm kind of like you, Glenn. I kind of think we have a real problem. We have a bigger problem. If we have a lot of citizens out there that don't believe that the police serve any useful purpose. Yeah, and I think that a lot of my ultra-libertarian friends um, have a disadvantage in all this, and you and I have an advantage in understanding that, and that is you and I and probably almost all of your listeners we know and converse with real-life police officers and, and military people and others, and we have conversations with them, and we know that for the most part, at least the people I talk to, um, the law enforcement and military people I talk to will not follow unconstitutional orders. They are exactly as you would want them to be. They are very professional. They're extremely cognizant of the Constitution, and they're not going to run off and do horrible, horrible things. That's not to say there won't be any, you know, official misconduct or anything. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe there's any, you know, black and white, and, and there's there's always gray, and there are always exceptions to every rule. But, I mean, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Um, one of the, the real characters in the book, who's a real person, um, the Joe Tantori character, who operates a, uh, a law enforcement and military training facility, mm-hmm. um, had some local uh, SWAT officers at his facility training, and one of the, the SWAT guys came up to him and said, so, Joe, um, you know, this book, I know this book, they, they describe your place, and who's this Glenn Tate guy? And he didn't mean that in sort of an interrogating sense. The, the point the SWAT officer was making is that the SWAT officer bought the books, loves the books, thinks they're accurate, thinks my assessment of what's going to happen is, is pretty good and pretty accurate, and, you know, he's, he's a reader of the book series. He's a patriot. He's all of the things we would want, you know, SWAT officers to be. He wasn't a bad guy. Um, and there are all these good guys in uniform in our midst. And I don't think the, the ultra-libertarians have conversations like that. They don't answer the emails that I do. And they don't, you know, have people call into your show, for example. You interact with people. Um, you know, who are in uniform, who are good. And so we have to be, I think, honest and balanced and reasoned about all this. And, and here's my big picture part of all this, because I am a, a political person, not a obnoxious, you know, student class president, vote for me kind of person, but I mean, I understand how politics and public policy work. Yeah. And I'm concerned that if patriots in general, how whatever term you want to use, um, constitutionalists, uh, you, you get the picture. If if we can't persuade the general population that we're reasonable and we've got a better plan um, than, say, you know, the, the government people, um, we've got a real problem because when things fall apart, as I'm certain they will, uh, people, regular people, are going to look to different camps, different sides, to see who has a better plan to get them and their family through the badness. And so if we are out there saying the police can use no force and whatever it is that happened that caused the calamity was a giant conspiracy, um, we're not going to persuade people. And the reason that's important is that, you know, we're not going to have people on our side to help us fix things and calm things down and get things back to normal. Those regular people are, are going to join maybe goofy sides that have crazy ideas, extremist ideas, and that's not going to help the situation. And so I I just think that there needs to be a sense of practical uh, 
uh, reality to all of this. And you, at some point, we're going to need to persuade people. And, and saying the police have to read a guy his rights when he's hiding in a boat. And by the way, the, the information the police had at the time was that he had a suicide vest strapped to himself. I'm, you know, I'm not a coward, but I'm not walking up to that guy and start and going to start reading him his rights when he's got a suicide vest. So exactly, me either. <laughs> it just seems sort of, uh, not sort of, it seems very unrealistic. Um, it seems like folks who just talk to each other on the Internet all day long and don't go out and, and get acquainted with the reality of what's out there. Maybe in, in their world, in the world of Internet chat rooms, maybe a lot of people out there don't actually interact with bad guys. And I'm not talking about terrorists. I'm talking about garden variety bad guys. Um, you, you need to do that to understand that there are indeed bad guys. So I think the Boston thing is teaching us a lot about a lot of topics, but one of them that I think came to me and can sound like came to you because we had the, the exact same experience is that um, we need to be practical and we need to give people a plan and saying the police can't use any force is not a plan. I would agree with you on that. Let me ask you a question that's kind of related to this whole incident, Glenn. You know, I understand that the guy was an American citizen. I get that. And every American citizen is afforded certain constitutional rights. At what point, at what point or when do we determine that this guy is supposed to be read his Miranda rights. Is it is it right away, as some are suggesting, when potentially he's got a, a suicide a suicide vest attached to him, or or do we walk too much of a uh, slippery slope when we decide to detain him temporarily for questioning? Yeah, and um, first of all, you mentioned the American citizen thing, and and I would not um, advocate this guy being treated as an enemy combatant. I think the whole NDA thing is, is a terrible idea on a bunch of other grounds that don't matter. So okay. we're, in the, we're in the realm of civilian law enforcement um, at this point, and um, um, I, I know a little bit about criminal law, but I can't claim to uh, be an expert on it. But I do know this. Uh, this part was on the bar exam. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, that is um, there are exceptions to the warrant requirement, there are exceptions to the Miranda requirement, and um, in a nutshell, officer safety uh, is one of them, um, and this gets to the whole, you know, suicide death thing, and also, from what I can tell from the pictures, I don't claim to know everything that happened in Boston, I haven't dropped what I was doing and, and devoted every moment of time to coming up to speed on the facts, because like you, you know, I have a day job, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, it looked like the the suspect, the bad guy, whatever, um, Sarnev, I think is his name, he was messed up in a, in a health way, pretty bad, and so I doubt he was conscious. And so even reading him his rights may not have been, you know, terribly effective. Um, I, I, I would have, once officer safety was established, um, read him his rights. And I think it's an important thing. The Miranda rights, to me, are important. Here I've talked about people in uniform and, and being basically good guys, and it would be very easy to conclude that I'm all for, you know, the police getting to do anything they want. Miranda rights are very, very important. Um, of course they are. For, yeah, it's important for people to know what their rights are, and also if, if evidence is obtained that violates the Constitution because Miranda rights were screwed up or there was a, a warrantless search that was unconstitutional, 
I'm a big believer in the exclusionary rule, which says the evidence that was unconstitutionally obtained cannot be used in court because that's a deterrent um, for the police to, you know, against mis- misconduct, and it, it gives them incentive to do it right and all that. I know that occasionally bad guys go free because of that and, and all that. I'm not trying to turn this into a, you know, podcast about the exclusionary rule. So wanted to set that out. But I think that um, as soon as, as the guy was no longer a threat, uh, read him his rights. I mean, everybody that in America who watches Law & Order for more than a couple episodes could, could rattle off the Miranda rights. Um, and so, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and it, it could have been done. I understand it wasn't done very, very soon after he was arrested. Um, that kind of bothers me. But you know what? <laughs> Let's say uh, any admissions the guy made um, when he had not had his Miranda rights read to him are thrown out of court. Okay, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of evidence against this guy. It's not like the guy's going to walk. Exactly. Because rights weren't read at, at a particularly good time. So those are some, some thoughts on that. But again, I'd love, I'd love for the keyboard commando internet guys to walk up to a guy um, in, this, in that situation and start reading him his rights. I mean, good luck with that, gentlemen. Yeah, and okay, I'll back off the enemy combatant remarks that I made on Facebook. You know, perhaps I'm wrong about that, and that would not have been a good use of that. But, you know, we started this conversation talking about the the, the keyboard commando people, the people on Facebook and the people on forums that I'm convinced spend more time behind their keyboard than they do in the real world. And there seems to be a theme from a lot of them instantly that everything that has to do with government and police is bad. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. And they take it to ridiculous lengths. And you know what? There's a kernel of truth to what they're saying. There is plenty of, of, of bad things that happen. And, sure there is. That, you know, and when I would say, hey, uh, the police need to be able to use some force, the response was, well, what about this instance? Was that okay? What about this instance? Was that okay? And, and they weren't understanding the, the basic point that I was trying to make, and of course, there are going to be examples of bad things that happen that, that you and I are not okay with, but that doesn't mean that the police can't, you know, exist, basically. Um, I don't know what kind of utopia it would be where we didn't need any police because everybody acted just fine and there was no need for any police. I would love to live in that world, um, but... You know, it's not happening down here on Earth, that I can tell you. No, and, um, you know, you and I well, you and I get together on, on Skype and on phones to talk a lot about what, what's going to happen if there's some kind of a collapse or, or a bad event. Well, listen, um, just a couple of weeks ago, a terrorist attack happened. That's a, that's a stink-hit-the-fan event. That's a, that's a bad event. And, and I don't think that we can automatically assume that anything that the government does or anything that, that the police do is a bad thing. You mentioned it earlier, that there are police and government officials with good intentions. There are people that will not, under any circumstances, uh, obey an order to violate someone else's right. As a matter of fact, I would think that that's probably the majority of them. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I do agree, and that's based on my interactions with them. And, and obviously folks who talk to me or talk to me through an intermediary like my friend, the Joe Tantori character, sort of a self-selecting group. These are, these are people who are already, you know, good guys. I mean, they're reading this book series, for example, so I don't claim to draw too many conclusions. I think 
but from what I can tell, the majority of them are good. And I think in, in a very initial, early on phase, there might be more police and military who do things that we would not like them to do. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of that in Boston, as I understand it, 9,000, I don't know if that number is true, but 9,000 police and even others were involved in that search. And so early on, there might be sort of a rally around the flag and sort of get this crisis under control mode. And But then after that initial crisis passes, I expect to see um, the majority of police and law enforcement doing the right thing. And another neat thing is that there are um, older and wiser um, people usually in charge of police and military units, uh, NCOs, and to an extent officers. Um, and I expect the older and wiser natural leaders, especially the NCOs, um, I think a lot of upper echelon military officers <laughs> are careerists, and uh, I wouldn't count on them, but I would count on the NCOs. And I think that all it takes is one uh, one you know, first sergeant saying, gentlemen, we're not doing this. It's an illegal order, and it ain't happening. Who's with me? And I expect most of them to say, me, sergeant. And, I, you know, it only takes a handful of, of good guys to, to prevent a unit from doing a bad thing. So I see that. And you mentioned the uh, stink hits the fan ramifications of this. Here's another part of the Boston thing that I don't know that a lot of people appreciate. It's been my observation. Now, it could be because I'm wrong, I guess, but... I haven't heard anybody talk about it, and that's this. Look how two guys shut down the Boston metropolitan area and drew 9,000 or whatever the number is um, uh, law enforcement people out. So my ultra-libertarian friends say, you know, there's going to be martial law and the government's going to control everything and all of our freedoms will go away. There'll be police on every corner. Uh, 9,000 guys to take out two guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look at the Christopher Darden thing, the uh, former L.A. Um, sheriff's deputy, I believe, who went insane and killed a bunch of people a couple months ago in L.A. One guy shut down Southern California, and by that I mean drew all the police resources um, from a wide, wide area, and they finally got him and all that. But the point is, is that there aren't enough military and police personnel um, to go after more than a handful of people they're going after. And if, if instead of two people they were after in Boston, if it were 20 or 200 or 2,000, they absolutely don't have the ability to just put police and military on every corner. Um, there, there just aren't enough <laughs> troops and, and officers to, to do that. And that, I think, is reassuring. And one of the themes from the book series is that the elected officials, before a collapse and during a collapse, elected officials and politicians, the dirtbags that they are in the for most part, hmm. and I and I know that because I work with them, uh, they, uh, they will want to do bad things, and they will probably even issue orders to have the military and police go do bad things. And uh, some military and police, especially initially, will go do the bad things, but then... They don't have the personnel to carry this stuff out because there are plenty of good people, as we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And so my 199 days, one of the points, is that the bad guys can't pull it off. And, and, and I believe that's true. And I think Boston, and I think the L.A. thing I mentioned, 
are perfect examples of of the government not having enough force to handle more than a handful of people at a time. And obviously, if there's a big, big problem, a collapse, there's going to be far more than a handful of people the government, you know, doesn't like. So we have less to be worried about, I think, and, and we shouldn't go crazy and start living in this terrifying world of the police are out to get us at any given moment. Um, number one, that's not a good way to live. That's number right. two, don't believe it's true. And number three, you're not going to persuade your neighbors and others um, to listen to what you have to say if you're telling them that, you know, there are, there are radio waves that are hitting your brain that are, you know, I don't know, the CIA is controlling your thoughts with radio waves or something. Um, so anyway, those are, those are some thoughts, and, and Boston really, you know, presented all these um, things to us and made us think about them. <laughs> you know, you brought up a really good point right there. You know, I'm in sales. I've been in sales 28 years. You're in the people business where you have to persuade people. And I'd like people to understand, take a deep breath. If you want to persuade someone to your point of view, calling them names, insulting their intelligence, uh, being pretty much verbally antagonistic to people because they don't agree with you, that's not going to get you very far in the gentle art of persuasion. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the other half of that, and that is we are going to need to persuade people. Um, we are often, and this your audience, and I'm included in this, are individualists. We you know, are self-reliant for the most part, and we don't follow the group. But the group is going to follow somebody, and, and you, you want them to be following you. <laughs> you don't want your neighbors, um, you know, at cross-purposes with you. Um, you don't want them getting in the way and messing things up. Ideally, you would like to have your neighbors, and I'm thinking now of sort of a typical suburban bug-in situation. you like your neighbors to be working on the same team with you and helping you out and splitting up guard duty and being effective and doing all these things that need to be done. And so that's the other part of it. We can't just run off and be by ourselves. I mean, if, if you're lucky to have some off-the-grid cabin in the Montana wilderness and you and your family can be, you know, just isolated from human contact, you know, good for you. Um, by the way, it's not a super good plan because somebody's going to get a cut. There's going to be an infection and you're going to wish you had a doctor and you're going to wish you had antibiotics and a bunch of other things. So I don't even think... Yep. The off-the-grid cabin is, is a particularly good plan, but um, we all have to work with people, especially in this very interconnected and dependent American society and economy that we have, and that's why we need to be leaders, and credibility is everything. I've heard you say more than once that you don't say bad things about your competitors when you're you know, in, in, your, in your sales role, and I think that's great. When I hear people bad-mouthing competitors, I, I discount whatever it is that that person is saying. And um, I think the same applies. We're basically in a, in a bad situation. We are trying to sell our approach to other people. And so we should employ some sales techniques. It's okay. You know, sales techniques, that's not a terrible, dirty word. No, um, it's not. We used to call it leadership and being a statesman. Well, you know, those of us, sheepdogs like you and me and probably everyone listening to this, we're the sheepdogs. People are going to come to us. We have a responsibility to help other people and to lead other people, and we need to think 
about how we do it. And this Boston thing is a great example um, of how not to do it. And by that, I mean, you know, saying the police can never use force. Yeah. Um, you know, to say that they can never use force or shouldn't ever use force, you know, um, I think it's a big turnoff that, that a lot of people um, engage in when they begin to talk about the extremes. And I think we just have to be very, very careful about that. I, I don't know. I've, just, I've never been an extreme kind of guy. Uh, and again, I'm not saying put full faith and trust in the government. I don't put full faith and trust in the government. And I wouldn't expect anybody else to do that either. I, I do have a skeptical attitude towards the government, especially these days. A lot more than I did uh, 10 years ago. But I think... Well, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and the Second Amendment plays into that. We don't have to fully trust and rely upon the government because we have arms to take care of ourselves. And, of course, the arms that private citizens have keep the government honest. It's a great deterrent. I don't know what percentage of the, the good law enforcement and military people that I've been talking about um, are just purely could, out of the goodness of their heart, at some level they have to understand that in a nation with however many tens of millions of firearms there are, um, trying to occupy a country this size and this well-armed against the will of the people is is a bad career decision because it probably is going to end up getting you uh, hurt or killed. And so there's that, you know, real deterrent too. So yeah, you and I are examples of, of people who don't trust the government, certainly don't blindly trust the government, but, but the other half of that coin is we don't blindly hate the government and we don't blindly distrust the government um, in an absolute sense. Well, what you just described, Glenn, you just described a middle ground. There is a middle ground. You know, you don't have to blindly distrust the government and you don't have to blindly trust the government. And I would urge people to seek that middle ground and find out where you are there and, and, and play in that middle ground. Yep, exactly right. Couldn't have said it better. Well, let, let's shift gears for a minute. I wanted to ask you a question. Sure. This Boston bomber guy that they now have in captivity, he was a United States citizen. If I'm not mistaken, when an individual becomes a naturalized U.S. citizen, they have to pledge what's called the United States Oath of Allegiance, correct? It sounds right. I can't say for sure, though. Well, I'm looking it up on my computer. I'm pretty sure that they have to pledge a United States Oath of Allegiance. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Now, somebody can call in and correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure that they, that they have to do that. Now, couldn't we say... Couldn't we say that the oath of citizenship that is taken by immigrants that officially naturalizes them... Could, couldn't we say that this guy not only severely violated that oath, but couldn't we say that this guy committed treason? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, treason, you know, um, attacking the United States and aid and comfort to enemies of the United States, um, perhaps it is. I think there are plenty of, of perfectly good civilian law enforcement um, techniques and civilian laws that that punish this, and I have this extreme <laughs> reluctance um, to to go down the road of, of of treason. I mean, okay. One of the 
Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to hear what you had to say about that, because it was something that popped into my mind. I mean, you know, treason's basically waging war against the United States, trying to help overthrow the government, things like that. And obviously he wasn't doing that, I don't think. I mean, the guy is a thug terrorist trying to just kill and maim people because of a twisted religion that he worships. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think you could say that two pressure cooker bombs, as, as bad as those were, obviously, um, could, as a, as a practical matter, you know, wage war on the United States. I will say this about the treason approach. One of the things that is good about the treason approach is that it takes, and it's in the Constitution, so there's no ambiguity about this, it takes two witnesses to the overt acts, you know, the in this case, the, the bombing acts, as opposed to the conspiracy acts. Um, and so it's a pretty high standard, and it's a, it's a trial that happens in, in a courtroom where people get to see the, the government's case. There's a jury, which is really, really important. Um, and so if you're going to um, combat terrorism, um, perhaps treason is a good way to go because there are so many safeguards built into it. And none of those safeguards apply under the NDAA. Um, I cannot conceive of how U.S. citizens, especially on U.S. soil, could ever be enemy combatants. Um, but that's a that's a different discussion. That'd be an hour long topic, you know, and, yeah. and all that. But there are plenty of tools out there. Um, my goodness, you don't even need federal prosecution. I'm pretty sure there were quite a few Massachusetts laws um, that were violated, and there's good evidence of it. Yeah, and I'm so, sure, and I'm sure they're going to have plenty to throw at this guy. So. I just wanted to get your perspective on that treason thing, and you, you answered it, and I agree with you on that. Um, in closing, Glenn, I, I think I think it would be very wise if Congress were to get together and propose the passage of a law banning high-capacity pressure cookers. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Look at look at how how destructive they are. And, you know, it's not just the malicious use of pressure cookers. There are a lot of accidents, you know. Sometimes people leave them on the stove too long and a gasket gives way. And, yeah. And they spill water and shoot steam out. And, you know, there could be kids around. and we got to protect them from that. I, I halfway expect someone somewhere, some goofy city council, probably on the left coast out here, to, to talk about banning pressure cookers. They're already trying to, <laughs> at least West Senate, go after um, black powder. I'm sure fireworks will be next. I saw on the news, don't know if it's true, but it makes sense that these guys used fireworks, you know, the big kinds, the, the mortar shells and all that. Well, I don't and, think that uh, we should, I don't think we should ban all pressure cookers, just just the high capacity ones, and I think we need to tighten the background checks for anybody <laughs> for anybody buying one of these high, high capacity pressure cookers. And I think we need to sh- close the cooking show loophole, too. Oh yeah, because that's and that's where these people they they trade they traffic in pressure cookers right uh, at these these cooking shows and maybe yeah well, that's that's what we need to do. We I mean, it's so easy for somebody to just walk into a cooking show and and buy a high capacity pressure cooker with no background check, no questions asked. I think we need to shut that down. We need to tighten up and have universal background checks. And I and I think we also probably need to limit the supply of of, of shrapnel that people put into these pressure cookers and and maybe even have some extended uh, background checks or government reporting on people buying that too. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think that uh, nails, for example, are yes. something that need some kind of federal license to buy nails, and that wouldn't slow down the construction industry or anything like that. So I think yeah. it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, it's definitely the object that's the problem. If I mean, if these two guys were not able to get a hold of pressure cookers like that and nails, if it wasn't so easy to get a hold of those, it, perhaps we could have prevented this from happening. Yeah, and if we save one life, you know, that's what it's all about. And, uh, yeah, there'll be a lot less home canned peaches and perhaps less succotash. And actually, as someone who despises succotash, I'm okay with succotash being outlawed. But, uh, you know, it may inconvenience some people. And, oh, yeah, a house now may cost $400,000 more because you need a federal permit to buy nails. But if it saves, if it saves one person, you know, then we've done our job. I see no reason why anybody needs a high-capacity pressure cooker. A double-barrel blender is just fine, and all you have to do is stand out on your back porch and just two shots out of that double-barrel blender, and that's it. it the problem goes away. <laughs> I was I was keeping a straight face the whole time, but when you invoked that image of Joe Biden for me, I just couldn't stop laughing. So I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think we're. This was a good interview, Glenn. Thank you very much. Much. I think we're kind of up to a. Uh, you got to get going, don't you? I do, unfortunately. Glenn, thanks for coming back on, and uh, and I appreciate it. Your insights are always very very valuable, and uh, be safe out there. Thank you. You too, Bob. Take care. Well, thanks, Glenn, for a great interview. Thank you for donating your time. I appreciate that as usual. Folks, if you want to get his books, any of them, there's five of them out right now, go to my website, todayssurvival.com. That's todayssurvival.com. You can buy them off of my website through my Amazon store, and I will earn a very small commission. It's not much, but every little bit helps, and it's your way of giving back to the show. And uh, go over to todayssurvival.com, click Recommended Books. If you want to just do some general shopping on Amazon, even if you don't want to buy the book, but you want to buy something else, uh, I'd appreciate it if you would use my Amazon store link. It'll help out the show. Whatever you purchase at regular Amazon prices, it you know it, you're, you're not going to pay extra just because you're buying it through my store. But if you use my link, you can just go over to todayssurvival.com, click Amazon store, click Amazon store page, and then bookmark that, save that or whatever, and use that as your typical uh, shopping link if you want to buy something through Amazon. Speaking of supporting the show. I also have what's called the Survival Champions Club. If you want to be a champion, the very best at preparedness and survival. I've got a group of special podcasts. There's five of them that I've put together over the last couple of years. Glenn Tate is on one of them. Uh, He talks about part two on building a prepper team. Pretty good stuff about how he builds how he built his team and some things that you might want to think about. And White Bear talks a lot about how to find a good survival counselor, a good survival teacher, or a mentor. He also throws a little bit of uh, info in there about how primitive living skills can help us out today. My good friend Matt Chusnick in Austin on knife and tool sharpening, he's on there. My friend Wade in Louisiana on how to use herbs for nutritional and medicinal purposes. Matt Brasick from Midwest Disaster Medical. Hey, check out his website, MidwestDisasterMedical.com. For those of you up in the Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois area that want to get some good fire, uh, not, not firearms training, some good first aid training, check out Midwest Disaster Medical. 
uh, Matt's on my Survival Champions Club giving out some pretty good first aid advice. And John Newser from Tennessee uh, is an EMT, and he's also a self-defense trainer. He talks a lot about how to defend yourself. So you can get that whole collection, or you can just buy them one at a time. If you go to todayssurvival.com and look in the right-hand margin, click Survival Champions Club. You'll see that. You can select those. You can also check out the page and get more information on it. And that will help support the show as well. I do not have paid sponsors on this show for a reason. I like to keep it as commercial-free as possible. So it's generated by the support from listeners like you. I hope you got something out of this. You might not agree with everything that Glenn and I talked about. And if you don't agree with everything, get on the forum. Tell us about it. I'll start a thread for this episode. If you want to join today's survival forum, uh, just click the forum button on my webpage and then email me, please. Email me at bob at com and tell me that you signed up. Give me your username that you used. I'll approve your account in less than 24 hours. I'll have to do it this way to keep spammers out. Sorry. It's the only really super good way to keep spammers off the forum. Email me, bob at todayssurvival.com. Tell me you signed up. Give me your user name that you selected, and I'll get your account approved probably in 12 hours or less. With all that said, folks, I'm Bob Main. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Today's Survival Show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Thank you very much. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.